Hi, this is Tracy Weatherwax filling in for Mary Van Bon. Mary was unable to record what she had written due to a death in the family, but these are her thoughts and reflections on our passage for today, Genesis chapter 8 and half of chapter 9. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth, and the floodwaters began to recede. The underground waters stepped the underground water stopped flowing, and the torrential rains from the sky were stopped. So the floodwaters gradually receded from the earth. After 150 days, exactly five months from the time the flood began, the boat came to rest on the mountains of Ariat. Two and a half months later, as the waters continued to go down, other mountain peaks became visible. After another 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the boat and released a raven. The bird flew back and forth until the floodwaters on the earth had dried up. He also released a dove to see if the water had receded, and it could find dry ground. But the dove couldn't find no place to land because the water still covered the ground. So it returned to the boat, and Noah held out his hand and drew the dove back inside. After waiting another seven days, Noah released the dove again. This time the dove returned to him in the evening with a fresh olive leaf in its beak. Then Noah knew the flood waters were almost gone. He waited another seven days and then released the dove again. This time it did not come back. Noah was now 601 years old. On the first day of the new year, ten and a half months after the flood began, the floodwaters had almost dried up from the earth. Noah lifted back the covering of the boat and saw the surface of the ground was drying. Two more months went by, and at last the earth was dry. Then God said to Noah, Leave the boat, all of you, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Release all the animals, the birds, the livestock, and the small animals that scurry along the ground, so they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. So Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives left the boat. And all of the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat, pair by pair. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though they think or imagine it is bent toward evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. Then God blessed Noah and his sons and told him, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, all the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky, all the small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for food, just as I have given you grain and vegetables. But you must never eat any meat that still has the lifeblood in it. And I will require the blood of anyone who takes another person's life. If a wild animal kills a person, it must die. And if anyone who murders a fellow human must die. If anyone takes a human life, that person's life will also be taken by human hands. For God made human beings in his own image. Now be fruitful and multiply and repopulate the earth. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, 
Yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures on the earth. I've been around followers of Christ for some time, so this story is familiar to me as it might be for some of you. I've heard a number of comments about rainbows and promises, but going through Genesis this time, I see something else. Let's backtrack for just a bit first. Noah builds the ark. In he goes with his family and the creatures sent to join them. The floodgates are open and the waters of heaven and earth are no longer held in place. Every living substance outside the ark swirls up in the deep and succumbs to death. But the ark is lifted up and suspended in a place the original text called upon the face of the the face of the waters as a cool side note the face of the waters is also the exact same place way back in genesis 1 that we hear of when it tells that in the beginning god's spirit was hanging out on the face of the waters there upon the face of the waters the hovering place of god noah and mankind get preserved after 150 days the waters are told to return to to position and they begin to slowly recede. Seven months in, the ark gets stuck upon the top of a protruding mountain. Three more months and they could see the tops of other mountains in the distance. Forty days later, Noah opens up the window and he sends out two birds, a raven and a dove. That raven never returns, but the dove does. She was unable to find any place, space, or condition where she could rest, so she returned to Noah and the ark. But what about the raven? Ravens are carnivores. They eat meat. They are scavengers. These are the birds perched all over roadkill, picking at rotting flesh. Ravens eat dead bodies. They live on death itself. Noah released a raven, and that raven found a feast, and it never came back. Now, I'm a very visual person, and I use picture illustrations a lot. I've often pictured my thoughts as kind of like birds. Thoughts fly around in the air all around us, and some of them land in our minds. You know how a thought can just pop into your head? That's a bird landing on the platform called your mind. The skies are full of birds, full of potential thoughts that can fill your mind, more possibilities than you and I could ever number. Some of those thoughts are destructive. They oppress, repress, depress, bring death or the least the sense of it. They are like ravens. They, like all things that are wrong, bad, foul, rotten, destructive. If my mind is full of ravens, it will also fill with a stench and more ravens will come. So when one comes, I try to quickly sue it away. I try to clear it out. The first time Noah released the dove, she came back to him. When he released it a second time, she found no place to rest, but she did come back with an olive leaf. In ancient Mediterranean culture, an olive leaf often symbolized peace of the soul. The third time the bird was released, she did not return, but she she had found a place to rest, a place of peace of the soul, a place to live. And Noah knew that somewhere there was space for rest and peace for the soul upon the earth, space for life to return. Thoughts like birds fly about everywhere. Some, we will say ravens, will bring and propagate death. Others, say doves, will bring and propagate peace for the soul. But I am the gatekeeper of my own platform. I can hang on to thoughts or shoo them away. I can contribute to the atmosphere so they feel welcomed or so they prefer to leave. The longer they stay, the more at home they feel, as long as they are being fed what they are looking for. Rest or unrest? Death or life? Chaos or peace? Sometimes it's easy to catch a negative thought and chase it off. Sometimes this shooing away is as easy as a quick flick of the wrist. Other times the birds and thoughts are so thick it can take a little more than that. A few days shy of a year after entering the ark, the land was dried up and God told Noah and his family to take all the animals and leave the ark. For nearly a year, the earth had been swallowed in water and every living thing died. Then the water seeped back into the crags and wells and returned to its positions in the seas. And what do you think was left? 
Clearly there was now at least one living olive tree. But what else do you suppose Noah and his family saw when they exited the ark and roamed the land? I'm going to guess carnage. Everywhere. Waterlogged and bulging, swollen bodies lying decomposing all around the land. There does not seem to be a clear consensus as to how long it took Noah to build that ark. But it ranges from about 60 to 100 years. God told Noah that a flood was coming and he was going to build an ark to get into. Nonstop rains and floods for 40 days were coming that would cover the earth and wipe out all life. This sort of watering had never happened before. If I told you it was going to happen here in 60 years, you would simply not believe me. I'm guessing it's likely that little to no one believed Noah either, but Noah built the ark. For 60 or maybe 100 years, he trudged along in laborious obedience, doing what God had told him to do. All the while, onlookers probably laughed and called him crazy, but he kept going. He remained steadfast in obedience, doing the best he could to carry out what God had specifically told him to do without yet seeing anything come to fruition. That's an awful lot and a long time to be obedient without being able to see the why. The only why Noah had was that God was grieved but favored Noah. He saw Noah's heart was for him, and he promised to preserve Noah and his family, but otherwise all other life was going to be wiped out. Many years ago, I set out on what I will call a quest for the Lord. I tuned my ear to him, listened, and walked in the best version of obedience that I could come up with. I was steadfast. It was one of the greatest quests of my life thus far. I'm not Noah, and I doubt I got it all exactly right, but I sure did keep on going for nearly 20 years, and my heart was for God and His ways in spite of the sweat and struggle and sorrow in the course. I was as Noah as I could be, and my ark was quite a masterpiece. And then a flood came, and I watched as 20 years of obedience appeared to end in waste, and all I could think was why. I was never one to ask the Lord why, because I felt it betrayed weak faith. I kept my whys covered up with misused scriptures, like God will never give you more than you can handle, which he did anyway, and this too shall pass, which isn't even in the Bible. And the ravens came swarming until there were so many of them, the platform of my mind nearly toppled over. I flicked my wrist day and night and could not seem to get those birds out of my head. One day I felt a strong invitation to go ahead and ask God my whys, and I was going to do it. Well, do it at all. I got a blank notebook and a pen. I turned on praise music and for seven hours I listened and cried and wrote and cried and cried and wrote and I filled that book with all my questions. Why would you let me walk in obedience for so long and then lose it all? And if it was actually in disobedience, why wouldn't you tell me? Why would you trick me into thinking that the quest was even a good idea? Why wouldn't you have led me differently? It felt like I had been trapped. Why did you let it nearly take my life? Why would you let so much harm come? Why didn't you rescue sooner? On and on and on and on until I filled the book. In spite of having to recall all the torments, I was excited because if God had invited me to ask the question, surely I was about to get the answer why. My whole pile of pain was about to get drenched in answers and balm and I would have peace in mind and be free once again. I finished, closed the book, and sat in quiet contemplative expectation for this salvation, when suddenly in my mind's eyes, pictures began to flash across the screen like a choppy old movie, flashes of scenes. There was David weeping on the floor at the loss of his firstborn infant son, and then standing up and going to the temple, where there were shocked followers of Jesus standing in broken disbelief when they watched their only purveyor of truth die a violent death. And there was Noah. I saw Noah come off that ark and survey rotting, swollen carnage everywhere. Noah walked 50 to 100 
years in an obedient quest full of expectation of deliverance into good by a good God and death is what he saw. And Noah built an altar and made offerings to God. The original word here for what he did means something like going upward, a strengthening by going from a lower region to a higher one. Noah was taking his eyes off the scene and setting them above on the things of God. The brotherhood of weeping disciples banded together and sang, David headed over to meet God to the promises and goodness of God. Sometimes a flick of the wrist does not get rid of the ravens. Sometimes their number or weight is too great and you need to bring out the big guns. Sometimes you need to head to temple, sing the songs, build the altar, set your gaze upward. I admit I was angry and disappointed with God that I did not get a single why then. But I began to sing anyway, and I fixed my eyes on Jesus and I worshipped. I reminded myself and the world of his character and all he had done. I clung to Psalms and spoke them out loud, those lines and lines with which I felt intimately, experientially acquainted. I filled the atmosphere with words of life and truth and even and especially when they felt fake and flat, I spoke them anyway. And one day I looked up and there on the platform of my mind were doves and I was at rest and in peace. When we get to choose what we think upon, We can choose the things that produce life, and we can choose things that bring and feed on death. Sometimes it's easy to control our thoughts, and other times it may take a great resolve to praise instead of complain, to speak of what is amazing instead of what is destructive, to focus our gaze and mind and heart and hope and words and ways upon a good God who's far higher than we are, and who is for us, not against us, and who has promised to preserve our lives up there with him in the place above the waters, where the rainbows are. God, thank you so much for this day and thank you for the reminder of rainbows and for the birds that are in the sky to remind us of the choices we have as we think thoughts that perhaps are more like ravens and lead to destruction. And the reminder today that we can choose to think thoughts that are praise and like doves and that we can turn our hearts and minds to you, and you give us constant reminders of your goodness and grace. Thank you for that. Amen. 